0: One year ago, we explored the period in Superman history from 1986 to 1993 in our series Crisis Till Death. Now, the podcast returns to the Triangle Era as we survey the post death and rain landscape in comics, toys, video games, and television. This is Death Till Wedding, a new seven part epic covering 1993 through 1996. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. This is Death Till Wedding, Part 5. Joining me to discuss the trial of Superman and more stories is returning guest from the Dollar Bin Bandits podcast, Joe Marcello. Welcome back.
1: Thank you very much for having me back.
0: I'm always excited to get into these episodes. I have to say, in terms of these comics that we've been covering over this event, I think... I have the most favorable opinion so far uh, towards the reading material for this episode. Uh, What we had covered previously uh, in earlier episodes as far as the fall of Metropolis and uh, Dead Again and Death of Clark Kent, there were things I enjoyed, but overall I I felt a a little bit let down, I guess, compared to my memory of those stories or what I was hoping to get out of them. But I have to say, after doing this reading assignment, I'm feeling pretty good about this stretch that we're going to talk about.
1: I I agree with you. Um, I think maybe it's because they are, in terms of, they're newer, or they're not as far back as the previous set, for one. And two, what stuck out for me is the covers really caught my eye. There's a bunch of covers in this block that really caught my eye. And I remember going through them and just remembering back then. I'm like holy cow, I remember this. This, this was a good issue. I remember digging into it. And again, you know, there were some few things I bumped into, like I usually do, because I'm annoying like that. But like it, you know, th- this was a good set.
0: It was. I I want to echo a couple of the things you said. And I, like yourself, there were a couple of things I had issues with. In particular, when we get to the final leg of our reading material for, for this episode, when we Head into the territory where Lois and Clark are experiencing relationship turmoil. I don't feel like either of them comes off great, and Clark in particular, I found him infuriating. And the perspective that I have now as an, an adult, married man, it's I, you know, I, I, I receive this very differently than I'm sure I did as a kid. I probably didn't bat an eye at some of this stuff, but reading it now, it's like, whoa, you know, this guy. I feel like he made a number of, of, uh, of missteps that. I I, I wish I wish he could have avoided so
1: (laughs) I yeah I I think the um, I I agree with you but I (laughs) must so I have the you know when reading these things I think that a lot of these characters are really overly sensitive similar to how a lot of like professional wrestlers are if someone says something really wrong or they take it completely bad and that's how a feud starts you know what I mean (laughs) <laughs> you meet Elizabeth, you no know, brother. You know, and that's how you know. Anyway,
0: now fair enough. But a couple of things I just want to piggyback off of. Uh, I, th- I I agree. I think one of the reasons why I enjoyed this stretch so much is that, as as much as what we had covered previously, I had read as as it was coming out back in the day. We're now at the point in my Superman fan journey where my memories of. Going to get the books, and my memories of reading the stories are a lot more specific and vivid than they were for, again, Fall of Metropolis, Dead Again, uh-huh. Death of Clark Kent. Like we're now in that stretch where yeah. I really I have a more a clearer picture of these in my mind. So yeah. I'm sure that plays a big role. And on the note of the covers, there's one in particular: Action Comics seven seventeen. This is during the trial of Superman. It's the Wanted poster cover. And I remember, hmm. talk about specific memories, and you'll appreciate this because I know we talked last time about how, you know, we met through alternate realities, the de- now defunct comic book store in Scarsdale, New York. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you're aware of this place. One town over in Hartsdale, there, there was this place called Dairydale. Now it's called Dell on the four corners. Oh, yeah. So I remember I went to elementary school basically across the street from from that place. And I remember in the mid-90s, there would be like a Christmas concert at school where they made us perform. Oh, never enjoyed doing that. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I remember we had a Christmas concert. It was late at night. And I remember going in there. And this is, you know, classic newsstand, right? Where they, and I would I would periodically get get comics there as much as I was primarily going at that time to Hero's World in the Galleria in White Plains. That was primarily where I was getting my books. But every now yeah. and then when we were in Dell, I would grab something off the newsstand. And I remember to this day, I just have such a clear picture of seeing that cover, that wanted poster cover from that issue of Action Comics. And in my mind, I feel like there had been a little bit of a lull for me prior to my getting that issue. But as I'm reading everything together now, I don't think there really was much of one. Maybe it was a couple of weeks or something like that. But I don't know, in my mind as a kid, I think just the memory that I had was that I hadn't read in a little while. And I remember seeing that cover, and it just pulled me right in. So to whatever extent I had fallen off the Superman track a little bit, and I don't think yeah. it was really much, but that pulled me right back in. Man, that one stands out.
1: That one and the, uh, the one that kind of, that started that series of uh, The Trial of Superman where he's bound, you know, he's got his arms behind him with the, you know, in those shackles, uh, because that was used for the, the graphic novel of that story arc. And I would always remember seeing it in in alternate realities and, you know, a few other places. Uh, It was actually in Barnes and Noble of all places. Like that was one that was always there. And, you know, I remember going through it and I had them already. But, you know, that issue and that cover stuck out in my head. So coming back to this, I'm like, man, it's just nostalgia galore. For
0: sure. And this was something that came up when I had Bernie on, I think, a couple of episodes ago a Trial of Superman is one of the few arcs from this era that actually got a trade paperback collection. Yes, but uh, yeah, I do I do remember that the cover for the trade uh, as well. You know, when we talk about these issues that we read, a Trial of Superman was twelve parts that made up a big chunk of the reading that we had. It was it was you know it probably could have been you know eight or ten, but <laughs> nevertheless, I still enjoyed it a lot. But yeah, twelve issues.
1: <clears throat> yeah, it it was it was long and. Reading through it, it it and correct me if I'm wrong. You tell me your opinion, obviously, but it seemed like it it didn't need to be that long. It made some turns, um, you know. They're Superman and Steel and Supergirl. They leave, but they're and then but you know Superman makes this just silly decision. No, we have to go back for Cyborg the guy who created all this grief and trauma for the entire planet. No, well, let's go back for him. And then he gets caught again.
0: Yeah. Well, and that
1: really, that bothered me. Like, why would anyone do that?
0: I don't disagree. Although that's nothing compared to towards the end of this stretch where he uh, chooses to potentially let Lois die rather than, than kill the Joker. But
1: we'll, we'll we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, no, no.
0: <laughs> we'll get to that. One other notable uh, aspect—I'll rattle off the issues that we read in a second—but one other thing that happened during this stretch is that we had the introduction of another ongoing Superman title, the quarterly "Man of Tomorrow" book. Written initially and during this stretch, these were all all done by Roger Stern and Tom Grummet. So, two veterans of the Triangle era who had departed the mainline Superman books, uh, and were now back for this quarterly title, which meant that there was now one new superman book every week of the year
1: yeah it um it it threw me off because i was like i got into my groove of there are usually 4 weeks in a in a month and n- there was one superman issue for each and now there's another what am i going to do there's too much um i didn't you know as much as i loved having more issues the the man of tomorrow issues didn't really didn't really seem like it it brought it added too much more like it didn't seem like it was anything unique beyond what was already being presented to us um it was a a fancy title um i feel like they probably could have maybe just retitled another um another line you know maybe you know, Man of Steel or, you know, one of those are in- Adventures of type of things. Um, because I do like the the title Man of Tomorrow because it makes sense. Um, but in terms of, you know, it's just like, it's just more just them an excuse to add another title out there, I thought.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I, I like, I loved having Stern and Grummet back. Yes. You know, that was really cool. I feel like as much as these books were working together to create this weekly storyline, and and as I make my way through the more of the triangle era, I think it's fair to say, you know, each book was still able to carve out its own identity, you know, to to one extent or another. And especially in what we read for this, uh, there's a good, there's a good period before trial of Superman where the books are kind of doing their own things for a little bit. And you have some subplots and we have more subplots here than we had in previous episodes, which I was very happy about. Uh, and we'll we'll talk about, but, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I mean, I just felt like it was probably harder for Man of Tomorrow to to really build too much of its own because, again, it's only coming out a few times a year. But on right. the bright side, they did have Lex to play with. That was, you know, if there was sort of one common denominator over these four Man of Tomorrow issues, uh, I, I think virtually all of them dealt to some degree or another with uh, the revitalized Lex Luthor. And this is so perfect right. that I, I wish I could say I, I put into this, and this is why you're back for this episode. But it ended up working out really well because the last time you were on, right, we talked about Lex's downfall, right, right, suffering from this clone disease. We we leave him in this shriveled vegetative state. He's out of commission. He's been exposed. And the first issue that we read from this was Man of Tomorrow number one, where he regains his his strength and vitality, and you know he's yep. working behind the scenes, and we have some tie-ins to Underworld Unleashed. Uh, throughout all of this but it's perfect to have you back for this because like what we covered in the last one as far as uh you know uh, dead again and death of of Clark Kent uh not that it lifts out but it's a nice sort of uh connection point between the two episodes that you did
1: yeah yeah no I I loved that uh, kind of reveal of of Lex and I forget the no, I have so <clears throat> from last time to this time I jumped back into DC Universe, uh, and now I have all the issues again. <laughs> so I'm not going, you know, through my old uh, my old library. They're all here. This is great. So I can, because I took notes, so I can just reference these things. But I forget the exact issue it was, but when the final reveal of Lex, and he's clearly, he is in his prime again. He's got the polo shirt with the nice pants and just jacked, bald as hell. But you know he is just ready for business, you know, and that's one of those iconic looks of Lex Luthor. Um, aside from you know, let's say maybe a suit or the um, the green armor, uh, that is just iconic. And you know, when you think of Lex, that's what you think of.
0: Totally, and that's what I, w- I was thinking about that because in this post crisis era, you begin with the the out of shape, balding Lex, mm-hmm. older. Right, and you're with that until his apparent death, and then he returns as as his own son, right? And right. So then he's in the younger body, but he's got the flowing mane of red hair and everything. And it's not until this point that you do get, you're right, that iconic look that really has stuck for the character, bald yeah. but 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 fit and very vital. So yes. uh, we get that in Man of Tomorrow number one. It was the first issue that we read. So on that note, this is what we covered. I uh, You know, I include these in the show notes, but I also say them at the top of the episode for anyone who's who's curious or wants to dig out their back issues or hop on to uh, DC Universe Infinite uh, Ultra. Now Definitely. we have we, we now have a new uh, uh, membership tier for the DC app. I'm very curious as of our recording. I don't yet know what additional material is going to be available at this new ultra tier that was announced at uh, New York Comic Con 2022. But we'll see. We'll keep track of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it's totally worth it for this. For Superman podcasting, trust me, it's worth it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I do feel the same. So we read The Man of Tomorrow, number one through four by Stern and Grummett, Action Comics, 712 through 720 by David Michelinie and new penciler, Kieran Dwyer. Man of Steel, number 47 through 54 by Louise Simonson and John Bogdanov. Superman, 103 through 110 by Dan Jurgens and new penciler, Ron Friends. And Adventures of Superman, 526 through 533 by Carl Kiesel and Stuart Immonen. So that's what we read for, uh, for this. And, you know, we've come up on this question before from one of my patrons, Brian, but I think I can like really answer it now because we have one more, we have two more episodes to come in this event. One of them is going to focus on the Lois and Clark uh, television series. And then the other one will follow uh, the next batch of issues in the triangle era, up to and including the wedding. But in that next batch of comic reading, we don't have any big tentpole stories. Uh, there are smaller, you know, one-offs and, and little arcs. Uh, but no big event storylines. So one of the questions that Brian had had was, if I can find it here, uh, which of the event crossovers was your favorite of the lot? And you know what? And I would not have expected to say this at the beginning of this podcast event. But I'm going to say The Trial of Superman was probably my favorite. I know you haven't read all of them, right, from this entire era. But of the ones that we've read or the ones that you remember, what do you have a favorite that stands out to you?
1: Um, so the one that sticks out now is just are we talking just Superman or all crossover events of DC?
0: No, just within the Superman triangle era. So, hmm.
1: yeah, I don't, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I mean, the only one that really sticks out, like you said, was kind of trial of, of Superman. Um, there was the there was like a few issues that crossed over with the larger underworld uh, event. Um, but those didn't really have much of a, those two issues didn't really, they weren't too like, um, significant as it pertains to underworld in relation to Superman. Um,
0: but even like fall of Metropolis, what we had covered in our earlier episode or to whatever extent you remember dead again, or death of Clark can do any of those sort of com- compete with trial of Superman for you no, or is that number one?
1: No, no. Cause they didn't, um, Again, like they they just annoyed me more than at least, you know, the fall of Metropolis did because it didn't again. And I mentioned it, you know, when we spoke last, it's nothing out of the ordinary that hadn't already happened. So there really shouldn't have been much of a a, 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 of a story of that because Metropolis gets wrecked every other week. Um, But I like the trial of Superman because you're challenging Superman. You know, you are really giving him something to work towards. And I'm sure we'll get into it, but like, you know, as a result of the parasite, he's drained of his powers. He's like literally a raisin on the brink of death. And then, you know, through events, he comes back. And that's, you know, I think that's really one of the few ways that you can really challenge or bring a fight to someone like Superman, because man has godlike powers how are you going to compete with someone like that unless you can match him in some way and there's not too many you know characters out there that really can
0: very true and and again it's so funny how this worked out because when you were on a few episodes ago we read stories dealing with parasite and the last time we saw parasite he actually did Superman a solid, right? Because he had had been overloaded with all of this energy, right. Superman, right? And he is, was enormous. And uh, Parasite was able to siphon that off and return Superman to normal. I and mean, we hadn't seen right. him again. And so he pops up here, you're right, right before this trial of the Superman story. So for anyone who, who doesn't remember or has never read the trial of Superman, the basic premise is that this intergalactic tribunal uh, abducts and arrests Superman and tries him for the genocide of the Kryptonian race. Their reasoning is that Superman, Kal-El's ancestor, Kem-El, uh, was able to genetically bind the Kryptonian race to the planet such that they could not leave the planet without dying. Of course, Jor-El was able to correct this uh, when it came to Kal-El and allow him to leave the planet. But as a result of this, the 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 Kryptonian race was not able to flee the planet and, of course, uh, perished when the, the planet exploded. Even though Superman, of course, had nothing to do with this and it was generations ago and his ancestor according to this tribunal their religion holds that the sins of the father are forever visited upon the son and so they hold him responsible and so we get this 12 issue arc where superman's in space he's on this chain gang and they escape there's a space pirate uh they're bouncing around to different planets uh he takes this uh very meek weakling uh fellow prisoner mope uh under his wings and, and and really protects him uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of play there, and like I said, I, this really stood out to me. And what's crazy, I, I have to unpack this more because I've always said, and even if you were to ask me now, what's your favorite kind of Superman story? I would say a story set in Metropolis or set in Smallville that's more grounded that deals with our core supporting cast and and you know our our I guess our more regular stable of villains. I, I think that's my default answer, and what I truly do believe, however. Doing all these podcasts and everything in last year's Crisis till Death event, I, I one of my favorite favorite stretches was the Exile arc, where Superman is racked with guilt over killing uh, Zod and the other Kryptonian criminals, and he exiles himself into space, and he ends up on Warworld. I loved it. This storyline stood out to me, and then far more recently, I really enjoyed the Philip Kennedy Johnson Warworld arc in Action Comics, where again he's off planet and removed from all of the elements that I always, that I hold so dear. I, it's hard yeah. to explain.
1: Yeah. I, I love those war world um, related stories. And I guess now war world is within the earth's orbit in current comics, uh, which, yeah, we'll get into that. Um, <clears throat> I, I dig war world probably because of the same thing I said, because, you have Superman and he's getting, you know, in some cases he's getting beaten down, um, but it's, you know, he's really, he's, re- he's there's a true test of, of him as, you know, of his character and his brute strength and, you know, everything he holds dear. And, you know, when it, he's on the, you know, he could be in a fight and on the verge of death, but the last bit of energy he will use to save someone else if they need it, and that's you know at the core that's what Superman is. So I you know that's why I appreciate those storylines, and it's just cool to take him I think out of the the you know the Metropolis setting. Although you know it's just Superman and Metropolis peanut butter and jelly, um, but putting him in a, in a setting like that, out of his element, and really kind of mixing it up, I think is really interesting.
0: Well said. I mean, I think that probably uh, explains a lot of it for me as well. I think that when you are able to sort of put him in those scenarios, it it is an opportunity to challenge him physically in a way that we're often not able to, especially if it's a matter of his powers depleting because he doesn't have the, the, you know, the yellow sun, you know, if if we're dealing with something like that. But I also feel like a lot of these stories tend to be more spiritual struggles that he has. I mean, the war world saga, most recently in action comics, I think really speaks to that and, you know, trying to inspire the people. But I guess too, it's the fact that on the Earthbound stories, everyone on earth, everyone in the DC universe proper knows Superman, knows his reputation, knows what he stands for. But when you really remove him from that and he's encountering people, maybe they have some, some idea of who the character is, but they don't really, uh, that's where I think you you get some great examples of of showing rather than telling. You get to see what he is able to bring out in others. And you know, we'll talk more about Little Mope, but you know, Mope is a good example of that where yep. Superman really inspires heroism and and selflessness and sacrifice in this character just through everything that he's done over the over that 12-issue arc. So I think that's probably why these stories stand out so much.
1: One thing I found really interesting through reading this section of of, of issues as well as the last is apparently everyone there is like a superman newsletter that goes out to everyone in the in the known universe about who superman is because there will be some just you know brooding brute of a of a character is like i came to challenge the you know Kalel of krypton and you know like in in this series the guy he's like this is him you know he's of course this is like shriveled up Superman. He goes, I came here to battle Superman and, you know, I've heard stories of him throughout the universe. I'm like, how does everyone know about this guy and like what he does? (laughs) I mean, I, I understand he's an amazing guy, but is there an email chain that I should be on or something? I mean, but yeah, I, you know, that's, that just goes to show like, you know, this is in this world, he is unmatched, you know, uh, morally, as well as, uh, physically. So. It's true.
0: Yeah. Word really does get around. I uh, know. yeah, <laughs> very, very true. So, uh, as, as we look at these issues, there's, like I said, I think we can sort of break this into, you know, maybe three main segments. You know, we have about 15 issues before the trial of Superman. So beginning with man of tomorrow, number one, this is where And the early issues were dealing with some of the fallout from the Kenny Braverman conduit death of Clark Kent arc where, uh, you know, Clark had been presumed dead. Now, of course, he's uh, back among the living, but Jimmy Olsen is still missing. So we have a couple issues where Superman is still searching for Jimmy and, of course, is able to find and rescue him from conduits death trap uh, before too long. Uh, There's a great, really interesting flashback issue with Perry White and Franklin Stern where you get some Mm -hmm. insight into their past in the South Yes, uh, coming up against these, uh, you know, genetic, ex- you know, experiments. It was that was an interesting one. I won't, I won't go through every single one, but uh, we also deal with the the new villain, Savior, uh, the serial killer who develops the ability to uh, to manifest objects and also alter his size.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, not necessarily a villain who has stood the test of time,
1: but no. But I will say that issue that is one of those covers that really stuck with me. And going back into this, uh, this set, I was, I was anxious to go to dive into that issue again. Then I read it and I was like, you know, not so much, but like, you know, that cover, you have this imposing figure and okay, he has, he's jacked, he's huge. Um, He, it looks like, you know, like anti-Superman and he's got like the bleeding S. So, you know, we're coming back to the bleeding S from, you know, Death of Superman and he's wearing a black outfit and you know he has got white long hair and he just looks psychotic. So, you know, it's not until you dive into the issue and the powers don't really make sense, but like that cover, as long you know, along with a few others in the series, really stick out in my head.
0: Yeah. There was interesting stuff there with Savior in fairness. Like his whole his whole shtick is that he punishes deceivers. So when he was on his serial killer spree, he killed a telemarketer who promised him he would save money on his phone bill if he switched. And he was upset because he only saved – or he didn't save as much as he thought he would or something like that, right? I've, I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, he, he, he <laughs> took it to an extreme. But he targets Superman because going back to that Dead Again arc where Brainiac made the world think that there was this Superman corpse uh, in, in the old tomb – Right, and that caused the cast a lot of doubt as as to whether or not the Superman we'd been following since Reign of the Superman was actually the real Superman or not. Yeah. Uh, For some reason, this this figure here, Savior, um, uh, still sees that when he looks at the old photos uh, from that story. Even though the rest of the world now sees the empty coffin because Brainiacs, whatever you want to call it, uh, Mm -hmm. is no longer in effect. Uh, But he still sees that that dead body, and so he sees Superman as a deceiver and targets him. And I think, if I'm remembering correctly, that's the one where Ron Troop steps in, right? To, to yes. save the day. He's the yes. one who uh, points out the hypocrisy of, yep. of what Savior is spouting and that he himself is a deceiver. He's one to always, uh, you know, make excuses for himself and things like that. And and uh, I think what, what Ron says that ultimately really gets through to him is that, you know, he's projected this huge vision of himself, right? And he's, you know, hulked out, so to speak. Uh, yep. But he's really a very small person and that's truly what he feels inside. And and once that kind of lands, savior reverts to his, uh, his, his normal form. Oh, it was a, Oh, no, it was a good issue.
1: It it was. And you know, like I'm, I'm clicking through just to, you know, as, as you say it, and you know, there's one page where he goes from guy with a Superman t-shirt and just hulks out, like we said, and then he goes to a full on Superman, you know, Caped outfit and then to black, all in one page, you know. And he is just getting progressively larger and larger. And what I appreciated about this is just, you know, like in the um, uh, what was it Blood sport? uh, You know, Ron comes through again, jumping in like he is like the unsung hero of these of these arcs, where just a man doesn't have power. It's just a man who's willing to fight for what he believes in and. You know, he's trying to save Superman or save others from, you know, the bad guy.
0: Yeah. Side note, I'm going to be such a pain in the ass here. But uh, on the audio side, I am picking up those clicks when you're clicking. (laughs) Hopefully it hopefully the audience hasn't uh, it it hasn't necessarily registered. (laughs) I'm sure it's I'm hearing it, but that's my own uh, my own uh, laser focus on that. But uh, yeah, Ron true (laughs) point. What'd you say? Edit point. <laughs> <laughs> Not nah, we just put them out, man. It's all it's all part of it. It's all good. It's all good. So yeah, I mean, so there was definitely some good stuff. You know, one of the things I said earlier that I think elevates this this reading assignment over the past couple is that I feel like I feel like in what we covered in the prior episodes, there just wasn't as much of a focus on the supporting cast, and we weren't spending as much time with those subplots that that I've always loved, and that I feel like are are the, I don't know, the the secret weapon when it comes to the Triangle era. Because, yeah, you have the big stories, but you have this soap opera-esque ongoing storyline. And, you know, not every character gets the spotlight all the time. There's an ebb and flow. But I feel like a a good bit of that got lost in the shuffle in what we covered in the prior episodes. But here, and in fact, very early on in, in, in this batch of issues, Jimmy Olsen quits, yeah, quits the Daily Planet, and we'll follow this thread throughout all of the issues that we read, where he he quits because he doesn't feel like he's gotten his due. He hasn't gotten the opportunities that he feels he, he should have, and he goes to work for Cat Grant at GBS. What did you think of this of this subplot?
1: <clears throat> so I, so if the funny part is, if we had Orn here, he would just say that Jimmy Olsen is Superman's worst enemy. But I will say that you know I I like Jimmy there is a place for him in Superman world. Um, I, I didn't particularly care for um, where this goes only because I'm looking at it through the, through the lens of someone who knows how it ends and it's all, and it's going to come back to where it norm, where it, you know, began, he's going to be a photographer again. So, um, you know, I, I like it in that, You know, Jimmy Olsen is growing as a character somewhat, uh, albeit he's, you know, more or less like a fluff reporter. You know, I would equate him to, you know, uh, like an Entertainment Weekly or Entertainment Tonight type of guy. Um, And uh, he's trying to prove himself, though, in terms of, you know, as a reporter, not just like, you know, Cat Grant's like, buddy. And, um so in that respect, I enjoyed it. But just knowing that there's going to be an issue where he's going to be like, yeah, you know what, I'm going to go back to being a photographer. And that in the back of my head annoys me.
0: Yeah. It's, you know, it is a really a tough thing. And look, you can say this about almost all comic book characters, I guess, that there's only so much growth that they can really experience. We always have this reset, but I feel like it it is particularly challenging when it comes to Jimmy. And I feel like there is an opportunity to grow him up a little bit more and do more with him. Uh, And if he's always relegated to being this kid photographer talking to Mr. Kent, I just, yeah, I don't know. I feel like we only get so far. So I, I I get what you're saying.
1: Yeah. If the teen Titans can grow, you know, if Robin can go from being the boy wonder to Nightwing to eventually Batman a couple of times, there's no reason why Jimmy can't do something similar. Jimmy should be an editor at the Daily Planet at this point.
0: Yeah. that No, I know. That's true. Although it's, you know, it's, it's funny because then you look at the Supergirl TV show, right? Which gave us a very grown up accomplished yeah. James Olsen. I didn't care for it because I felt like it didn't. I love the actor, but I just didn't know that it it felt like Jimmy. But I don't know. Maybe that's just my own, my own, yeah. you know, being stuck in a certain version of the character.
1: Yeah, no, I I mean, like, look, let's face it, they can grow, but they can't get too far out of the boundary of where they're supposed to be, you know, and this is not an issue of, you know, a, a, you know, white guy versus an African American person. This is the characteristics of the character, you know, being guardian doesn't really make sense. You know, Lawrence Fishburne, home run as Perry White. You know, so you know the race issue is not—it's not a thing here, um, because he still embodied the spirit of the character. So, you know, do something similar with Jimmy. What is the natural progression of someone in that role? You know, he's a photographer. Okay, he's a reporter. Okay, well, maybe he wants to move up the corporate ladder in the (laughs) Daily Planet. He's been there for fifty years. I mean.
0: Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Totally. I, I I echo that. I could not care less about the the race of the actor they they cast. And like I said, I love I love that actor. Uh, it's just he's this like like gorgeous ripped guy who's yeah. confident and accomplished. And it's just like oh like it just again it just doesn't it doesn't sync up with with Jimmy. I look at the time. I did like what what Smallville did when they brought in the character we thought was Jimmy. And the fact that he was more of a contemporary to Clark and Lois and the other characters and that went the way it did. But for a time, you know, I thought that I thought that was cool. But I did. I enjoyed this arc of Jimmy striking out on his own. I mean, if memory serves. You know, certainly during the funeral and rain, there was that business with uh, the photographs that he had taken of, of Superman's death and his mixed feelings about sort of exploiting that. So we we spent some time with him there. But I feel like the last time we really had an extended Jimmy subplot was prior to that when he was laid off from the planet and became homeless. And we followed him during that for a while. So, you know, to sort of return to his storyline, but now put him in this situation where he's, again, left the planet and started working for CAD and is this on-air reporter and is competing with, with Lois for stories... Uh, I thought it was great. And it also tied in nicely with Kat, where she has been promoted to the head of the GBS news division, uh, presumably set up to fail by Vincent Edge, who she has Mm -hmm. recently exposed for his sexual harassment, you know, behavior uh, at at GBS. Um, And he's made her the head of this division, again, seemingly to set her up to fail. And, you know, there's all this numerous issues of, you know, all the other workers whispering behind her back about why she got the position and then why Jimmy got the position when he shows up. Right. But over the course of the issues, you see both of them, but Kat in particular, winning people over and starting to certainly stand up for herself and 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 earn their respect. And so for, for the both of them and, and Kat in particular, like I like I liked that angle.
1: Person who was in charge of the Supergirl series clearly followed this because cat is, I think, wasn't she the editor of the daily planet or, or or not the daily planet, but of, um, she had like a, she, she was in, yeah. Cat co Co, yes. Sorry. Mm -hmm. So yeah, clearly, I mean, someone took this aspect and ran with it because again, that makes sense.
0: It does the one thing, not to nitpick, but we talked about this the That's last why time no, I guess suppose uh, it's <laughs> all with love, though, it's always with love.
1: absolutely,
0: but the last time you were on, of course, we talked about that the infamous issue,-, mm-hmm. where Toy man kills Cat's son, and that was the one aspect of this that just didn't ring true. you know, you don't get the sense that a ton of time has passed. Uh, but even if it did, it's just like, even if, even if this were happening in real time and I, you, I, it's not because it's comics, but even if it yeah. were real time, we're still not talking that long since the death of her son. And it's really not, I could be forgetting, but in the 36 issues that we read, you know, where Kat had a you know, fairly prominent subplot, I don't know that it mm-hmm. even came up at, at all.
1: It, it was, I, since I don't recall it ever being mentioned. However, one could take it as she's put it behind her and she's using that as her driving force to succeed. Yeah. You know, she is, of course, I'm, I'm trying to reason this out. But, you know, like if put in a similar situation, you have two courses of action in life. You either crumble and just wither away or you move forward and try to make something of your life. How do you do that well you take you know you do what they do in every other uh underdog movie you take that anger that hurt that pain and you use it for energy and you move forward and you persevere and maybe that's what she did
0: <laughs> yeah no i think that's a i think that's a fair reading and not that not that i necessarily need it all spelled out but i guess i just would have appreciated it acknowledged in some way because going back to i think the the main problem that I had with that Toy Man issue was just, okay, if you're going to do this, you really got to follow it through.
1: Yeah. Right. It's a significant moment in anyone's life. <clears throat> so it has to come back. You know, it has to reverberate in some way. So to not touch upon it really doesn't do that story or the characters any justice.
0: Exactly. So. Uh, In any event, let's take a quick commercial break, and then we'll continue making our way through this stretch. We'll be right back. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina, for people of all ages and walks of life. Since 1983, this nine-time Eisner Award nominee uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material available. They pride themselves on their significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available to anyone anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the AcmeCast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out this family of film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. I was fortunate enough to have my work shown at these festivals, and I found them to be very enjoyable and well-run events. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news and updates about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen on Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and currently under new ownership, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany the next time you're in the Garden State, and be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Flat Squirrel Productions is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP, that's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions, to save 10% on your order, and it helps support the show. Thank you. All Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join All Yeah! for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit allyeahcomics.com and follow All Yeah! on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. All Yeah! And we're back. Okay, so we're still not quite at the trial of Superman yet. We're getting there shortly, but within that first leg of, of our reading assignment, um, what else stood out to you either in terms of, uh, you know, main, main plots or subplots or, uh, or any other developments?
1: <clears throat> well, Alpha Centurion, uh, or this version of it, um, being a, you know, a recurring character. Um, and, you know, and, and, I did not notice this in any other um, story or any section of issues as much as I did in, in this, but there were a lot of guest appearances by other major characters. <clears throat> and I don't know why that was. I'm sure there was a reason, but like in, you know, like the after Savior, you had uh, Aquaman, um, you had, okay, Alpha Centurion was a big. Uh, reoccurring character. Joker makes an appearance. Green Lantern. And then towards the end of this section, there's one right after another. Plastic Man. Batman. I think Green Lantern again. Uh, or Supergirl <laughs> or whatever. There, it's just one right after another. And it. <clears throat> I just found it odd because it seemed like, why are, Why do they feel the need to bring in all these other characters? Do they not trust their own stories enough where they have to bring in other bigger names. Once in a while is fine, but you know, this was clear, this was like six issues in a row where you had another character coming in one run after another.
0: Yeah, that's a fair question. You know, after Trial of Superman, really the last few issues that we read, we had, you know, Batman, Spectre, Plastic Man, Impulse, and right. and Captain Marvel. I yeah. That I, attri- I mean, I, I don't know, behind the scenes, those issues I attribute more to a themed month, like this month, Superman is going to team up with someone different in each of these issues. Oh, yeah. I'm like, okay, I, I, mean think I like it. that makes more sense to me, but I get what you're saying. This earlier, this earlier portion where again, there's Aquaman, there's green lantern, there's Joker. Uh, and they, they are spread out a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, it is. Inter- I don't know what, what necessarily, uh, motivated that. Like I said, I think the later one, I, you know, it's easier to sort of figure out what might've been going on here. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I didn't even realize that, that it makes sense. That it was a, it was all of that January month of uh, 96. So something going on where they were just like, Oh, here's special appearances by everyone.
0: Yeah. There's uh, one of the issues of adventures. We have both versions of Bloodsport. Uh, locked up in prison and tensions are running high because you know the the newer blood sport we had met is this white supremacist and so mm-hmm. you have the Aryan brotherhood in prison and then you have the original uh, black blood sport and again tensions are running high and is it the warden? I don't know. <laughs> who has the bright idea to actually have them fight and have Superman referee because otherwise there's just like it's these it's just gonna explode and we're gonna have a riot. So at least this way right. it'll be controlled. And of course it, it goes awry. I, you know, As it does. blood sport business, I, you know, we talked about that last time, too. Not doesn't particularly grab me. I mean, that issue mm-hmm. was fine, but uh, I, I didn't necessarily need to revisit those characters
1: personally. Yeah, it seems like they're just going back to the well, you know, um, and it, that, you know, there's certain characters. you You can go back to them once in a while, but this is it's a little too frequent, you know, and it's not like a heavy hitter of a character, you know, it's not dark side. It's not the Joker. Like, you know, he made an appearance. Cool. But you know, for a character like that, like a C level D level, whatever you want to label him as it, it it's we're spending too much time on the Bloodsport.
0: Yeah. A, a, a little bit. Now the, a couple issues later in adventures of Superman, there's a really interesting issue that's told from the perspective of, of this alien who is targeting Superman and you see everything from the alien's perspective and the alien is deaf. Um, so that, that plays into it as well. I thought that it's just for a one-off issue. I thought that was, that was pretty interesting.
1: I did. Yes. And it was called alien POV. So I, I, I enjoyed that one as well. That was, um, you know, it, excuse me. Um, if I clear my throat, it's just,
0: Listen, you've been voice. you've been battling a cold, and I appreciate we we pushed it back. We pushed our recording back, and you rallied, and we made it. And I I appreciate it, and I'm sure I the apologize. audience does as well. So it's quite Thank all right. Thank you,
1: everyone. I'm <laughs> sorry, uh, but what you know, what I was I found interesting about this issue is you know he this alien's expecting Hal Jordan along with Superman, and he sees a Green Lantern, but it's not the Green Lantern he knows. It's Kyle Rayner, and you know he's like this isn't something's not right here and um you know it it was a it was a cool issue, and then you know he's in a big outfit, you're thinking he's more imposing than he really is, and then towards the end of the issue, you come to realize oh he's you know he he's not all he's cracked up to be you know there is there's more behind it and um Alpha Centurion makes an appearance again, yeah,
0: all right, alpha Centurion, I didn't like this guy as a kid, I don't like him much more now. What, what's your either. take on this character? <laughs> I mean, I don't I, know. I don't know that we're necessarily supposed to like him, right? I mean, he comes I, in as yeah. like somewhat as a somewhat I, of an I don't know. What's the best way to put it? Like an uneasy ally, right? He's not. He's not. You know, at you know, he, he's Superman and Alpha Centurion are not at each other's throats or anything like that. But there's definitely a level of competition. He takes a liking to Lois, so that's mm-hmm. in the mix right off the bat. There's also this business where we first met the character and Superman first met the character during Zero Hour when he was in one right. of these alternate timelines. And Alpha Centurion was the protector of Metropolis and he was with Lois. So when a version of this character shows up now in the present in the DC universe, it definitely throws Superman for a loop because it's like, well, wait, what does this mean? Because <laughs> right. he, he had dealt with that previous version of the guy. And there's there are definitely some hints that there's a little bit more going on with him. It's been so many years. I don't remember where this really goes in the next batch of, of issues, but you know, we'll get there.
1: I don't either. And that's the thing that kind of, that really, you know, irks me. And I got definitely going to be reading more of this afterwards because, <clears throat> it, you know, the tone of this is he's coming off as, hey, look, I'm just a guy and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm honorable and I, I'm going to protect the people of Metropolis along with Superman and we can be allies. But make no mistake, I'm better than Superman. So, you know, there he's got some, you know, um, there's certainly some bravado behind his, uh, uh, his whole spiel. And, um, it's, you know, like you said, there, there's something else going on.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, uh, as far as the backstory, so he's from ancient Rome, right. And he went on this spacefaring expedition with aliens and comes back you know, through time travel to the present with this alien technology. And, you know, that's sort of the backdrop we get. I just did a little, I did a little light Wikipedia research because I didn't want to, I didn't want to spoil too much, but I Mm -hmm. think Final Night-ish is around the end of his tenure. So uh, in one of our upcoming episodes in this event, uh, we should have a little bit more clarity on this character, but- you know, he serves an important role. He organizes the Superman rescue squad when Superman is taken during the trial. And I mean, not to, not to jump ahead, but he's a really interesting runner where Superboy thinks that Alpha Centurion is really the cyborg in disguise. And I, you know, I was really paying attention to this though. You know, they, the the writers and artists definitely, you know, leads you to think that that's at least a possibility because there are a lot of instances where alpha centurion will disappear and then cyborg mm-hmm. will show up. And right. obviously that's not the case, but I I did appreciate Superboy's thinking, right? Cuz it's a great it, it it's a great way of showing like hey, he learned something cuz you yeah. know, they well they all got burned during reign of the superman. And so the fact that he's at least thinking like this might this might be what's going on here. I really, really like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And again, you know you're think you have to think about this in terms of reading these on a weekly basis versus reading these all at once like we're doing. You don't we have the time you know, we're just powering through this. So you know, when you read this by the issue uh, weekly, you have time to kind of mull it over in your head. And you're like, well, you know, Superman, uh, Superboy is making some very valid points here. So you're like, who is this guy? And, the, you know, he's bringing this to your attention, and you're like, well, that makes sense. Um, I don't, you know, definitely, you know, it's just not the case, but um, yeah.
0: We also get the return of the villain Skyhook, who abducts children and turns them into these batten <laughs> creatures. Uh, again, not my favorite villain, and it's you know, especially as a parent, it's troubling, you know, this, these, these stories of these kids being taken. Uh, you know, one of the things I talked about in in our couple episodes ago, because our last episode last week was the Death and Return of Superman video game. So it's been a couple of episodes since our, our, our comic talk. But the last time we talked comics, I've loved I've loved the subplot of Perry and Alice White adopting Keith. Um, mm-hmm. That's largely on the back burner in what we read for this. I think this issue of Man of Steel number 49 uh, is is the main exception to that where uh, Keith and his friends team up to try to help one of these girls who's been taken by by Skyhook. I, every time, not not to make light of this, but uh, every time I read a Skyhook story, I, I just can't help but think of Modern Family and Phil Dunphy. Did you watch Modern Family?
1: I didn't, no. Okay, it's
0: quite all right. I just real quick. But there was one episode, <laughs> but boy, it made an impression on me where <laughs> Phil's son, uh, hosts a party and like nobody comes. And so Phil dresses up as like the mascot from another school and shows up and tries to be the life of the party and make it sound like it's such a great party. And he calls himself Rod Skyhook. And he's like, I'm Rod Skyhook, yo. And it's this whole thing. But that's what I think of every time we get to Skyhook. <laughs> it's good See, I bumped into family. the
1: name. I didn't, the, the name didn't make sense to me. Like, you know, if you're gonna be a villain of some type and he, he looks like quintessential... You know, it could be like a boogeyman. Yeah. You know, stealing kids and stuff like that. Um, Skyhook doesn't really, you know, instill fear. It's an apparatus that you use like when you're building skyscrapers. That's That's what I'm thinking, you know. That's about it. So I didn't, you know, that kind of thing. Like someone really could have done a little bit more homework.
0: Maybe. And again, I'll jump ahead for a second when we're talking about uh sort of sitcom uh comparisons did you watch or do you watch always sunny by any chance no man we're 0 for 2 here that's okay
1: i'm sorry (laughs) it's okay (laughs) you know when you have twins you don't get much time to to watch television when you do it's crappy i
0: so we don't have twins obviously but we, we have one and yes our our tv watching i would say definitely our tv binging has almost stopped we'll yeah Cobra Kai is one example where we'll really make an effort and we'll mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we'll get through it right now. Uh, we're at the point, our son is it just turned three and it seems like this is for good. We've lost the nap, mm. uh, which is a tough break for mommy and daddy. <clears throat> I won't lie.
1: Oh, captain, my captain. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the naps when they go away, it's yeah, you're tired. Yes. You're you're, t- you're very tired all the time because that's that's your time to you take a nap too when you can and get things done. So yeah, my my TV watching is relegated to and I won't take a, more of our time with this, but Food Network and uh, the various, you know, Disney Nickelodeon movies. I've seen Monster High movie about 4 times since it came out. So yeah. Yeah. You're in for something
0: yeah i know well in canto that was a big thing we spent a lot of time with that i could i could perform virtually the entire soundtrack except the song that's all in spanish but if you give me enough time i would get there (laughs) i would get there (laughs) Uh, but on the bright side since he doesn't nap anymore he has been going to sleep earlier because when he was taking a nap he was going to bed like nine o'clock so now we're back at like 7 7 30 so anyway it's always sunny in philadelphia uh Somewhat of a recurring bit, because I'm almost positive this was more than one episode, but in in at least one episode, the character of Charlie kept talking about ordering a milk steak on a date. And uh, I bring this up because when we get to the trial of Superman and this character of Mope, he keeps referring to his milk brother. I mean, presumably they suckled at the same teat and they drank the same milk and they're milk brothers, right? Right. But every time (laughs) something about my milk brother, all I could think of is Charlie. Uh, at that restaurant ordering the restaurant's finest milk steak boiled hard, I think was what he asked for. So
1: that for any, sounds terrible
0: for any, uh, for any <laughs> sunny fans out there, you know what I'm talking about. And, and the milk steak, but, uh, so yeah, there were a couple of things that call to mind, uh, some of my favorite, uh, television shows. Uh, but we also have, so I just want to, before we get more into the trial, uh, in In this first batch, again, we talked about the the return of Lex to vitality. I want to circle back to that in a second, but we also have the introduction uh, introduction of the contessa mm-hmm. who will become a major player. She takes over as the CEO of Lexcorp in time, as we'll see over the you know next few years of of the triangle era. She and Lex will marry and have a daughter Lena, and Lex will ultimately show his true colors in terms of how he how he deals with the contessa but mm-hmm. uh Again, I, I know you know where the story goes, but initial impressions upon re-meeting her here?
1: Um, so, <clears throat> I, uh, you know, it didn't bother me so much. Um, at the time, I was, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to compare this to when I originally read these, these stories. Um, so, reading it now, I'm like, oh, I know where this is going to go. So, I kind of, I like the character. And, it just, you know, it seems like, well, it could have been, I don't know, how do I put this? At least, it, 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 she didn't seem like a strong character to me at the time, I put it that way. Um, I mean, I know, you know, it gets a little more involved, but like, it seems like they, she could have been a little bit more of a um, imposing character, you know, it could have been more of a uh, a heavy hitter, if you're going to put... Someone like that in the CEO of LexCorp role. All right, let let's put another badass and a woman badass, you know, to boot would be great. Um, so you know, initially, yeah, I know she becomes more of a of a of a thing, but it didn't really. Yeah.
0: Now, fair enough. Did you ever read the original graphic novel by Stuart Eminem, End of the Century? No. So neither did I. Oddly. I can't, it was weird. You know, there are certain gaps that I can account for, Mm -hmm. right? And then there are other gaps where it's like, why the hell wouldn't I have read this? Because it came out, you know, it came out in, you know, late 99, uh, living up to its title, end of the century. But it, uh, I believe it recounts the Contessa's origin because you get, there are a couple of hints when she's talking with Alpha Centurion that she's actually immortal. And I believe that end of the century graphic novel gives that backstory, I recently procured it on eBay. Uh, so I will be reading it and covering it in some way at some point. And I'm curious. I picked it up because, again, reading these issues, I was like, yeah. I, you know It's funny. Mm-hmm. Thinking about my own experience. I don't remember having a specific take on the character at the time. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I Maybe I never quite really knew what to make of her and still don't <laughs> even all these yeah. years later. So that's why I want to read. I do want to read that graphic novel because I think maybe that might you know, put this in, in better context for me.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I I feel uh the same way. Didn't didn't have much of an opinion about her either way. Uh it seems like we're kind of just here's a character. Here, you know, it's she was thrown at you. Um yeah, I dug how Superman busts into the uh the office though and he's like, I want to talk to Lex now. And she's there, you know, and he's kinda of like, Oh. Okay. <laughs> Yes. You know, he's kind of let down. Like, oh, I thought Lex was here.
0: Superman gets pretty pissed. Uh, yeah, it's, it gets pretty heated when he's he's tracking down Lex because you know Lex has been moved from Star Labs to this LexCorp facility and then disappears. Right, and and then Lex is leading him on this wild goose chase, and there are all these like animatronic Luthers, and mm-hmm. every time Superman shows up, an explosion goes off, and he keeps getting caught in them. And you know, you feel his frustration, and I I, I could appreciate that. What I wanted to ask you is, uh. Again, going back to Man of Tomorrow number one, at the end of that issue, we see Lex fully restored, right? Everything that we had talked about. And then in later issues, in the Man of Tomorrow title, uh, we get a little bit more of that backstory and it ties in with Underworld Unleashed, where basically he was approached by Abracadabra on right. behalf of Neuron, aka the devil essentially in the DC universe. He right. makes this bargain. He exchanges his soul, which you know Lex doesn't really believe in anyway. So for him, that's like an easy deal to make. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in exchange for his revitalization I think I've always bumped up against this a little bit because as outlandish as it was that they saved Luther's brain and put him in, in a cloned body it still has its basis in some version of science right, right. so I was always more okay with that the once we introduce magic slash the supernatural that's always where I, I bristle a little bit how do you feel about that especially now
1: <clears throat> mixing, it, it's it's like mixing science and religion. You know, you're 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 mixing something that's more or less tangible with something that is theoretical. So, and I'm not trying to upset anyone out there who's listening to this about religion. Uh, this is just the best way I could compare the two. Um, you know, it's like okay, if you can, like you said. All right, you're taking, There is some science base to it. And again, these are comics and you got, there's some suspension of disbelief. But then when you start throwing in the fact that the devil got involved and he's making underhand dealings and stuff like that, like, well, okay, so then really none of this matters. Like nothing matters. If just you can make a deal under the table with the devil, then why are we wasting our time? You know? So, you know, pick one or the other, you know, if you're going to deal with the specter, okay, that's all supernatural and that's his own thing. Uh, you know, the same with, um, swamp thing, there's a supernatural element there. Um, but if you're going to have a character like Lex Luthor and that's, again, this is kind of what I had an issue with, with most recent, um, uh, storyline and, um, Oh, geez, what is it? Uh, is it Dark Knight Metal or Heavy Metal with uh, Perpetua and those types of characters? You know, it's like now we're getting a little too far outside of the the realm of comic book possibilities here. We're going a little too over the top. So, yeah, I had a, I had a little bit of an issue. I dig the character of Neuron, though. I really like it. You know, like if you keep that character, you know, in with like Shazam, where he belongs— um, it's a really cool character because, you know, at some point they said, well, we can't have the real devil. We're going to have a representation of him. Maybe that's comics code related or at some point in time, um, because Marvel has their own similar, you know, type of character. Um, you know, I, yeah, that's long story short.
0: I, I, I'll co-sign on all of that. I think those are that, I think what you said, uh, represents a lot of the issues that I had with it as well. I think whether or not this should be an issue or not is debatable, but I think also the fact that it tied into a larger d c universe event, yeah in underworld Unleashed to me cheapened it a little bit uh as opposed to you know if you know there were a Superman storyline where Neron is the villain and this happens as part of it. it's like, okay, probably wouldn't be my favorite story, but I could get more on board with it, but the fact that this is a byproduct of a DCU crossover is kind of like, eh, n- again, not my favorite. Have you, yeah. have you read Underworld Unleashed?
1: I did. I did it a long time ago. And it was one of the stories that I kind of got into when I started collecting um, because there was a fair amount of catch up when I started and it it caught my eye because it was a very cool um, graphic novel cover with Neuron on the cover. And I think he was, um, I think it's just him. And he's got like a goblet or su- like a, uh, so he's holding something in his hand and just kind of really uh, stuck with me. And I thought it was very cool. Uh, you get all the bad guys together and who are they teaming up with? The devil metal man, you know, like that just seemed like a really badass um, concept. And, you know, I think it's one of those stories that probably, if you just left it within the confines of those issues of that, of that story, that's great. You don't necessarily need it to cross over into all the other titles. If you do, you don't need to spend two issues on it like this did.
0: Yeah, fair enough. It's it's like this is another one of those weird gaps. I had never read Underworld Unleashed. And I was I was tracking this because I know last time we talked about Zero Hour, but I didn't read Zero Hour when it came out. I remember reading it in trade later, not not much later, but mm-hmm. at least a year or two. Um Final Night was really the first of these fifth week event crossovers that I read as it was coming out. And we'll get to that me in too. an upcoming episode. Yeah. And we've actually we did an episode on Just Final Night at the very beginning of this podcast, very early on our first like holiday uh, episode. I'm excited to go back to that. But this one just kind of like fell through the cracks for me. But right before we sat down to record, I made my way through like almost all of it. I was like two and a half issues. <laughs> it's a, a three part story and then there were uh, a few other uh, you know, tie-in issues and then every every DC series that month had yeah. Um, ha- had a tie-in issue, but yeah, it's a cool premise, and it's Mark Wade and Howard Porter who did the main three-issue miniseries, and yeah, it's all these villains of the DC universe making a deal with the devil for these yep. various upgrades. So, I mean, more recently, we had the whole Year of the Villain uh, business. I think that's what yes. it's called, right? Yeah, it's kind of like an earlier version of that. I think it's a cool yep. premise. I like the idea. I will say one thing that made me more okay with how Lex returns was <laughs> a big surprise here: Smallville. Because when you get to the series finale of the show, it, it's, and again, this is maybe this blending the 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 line between, uh, you know, the science and the supernatural, because the show's take on Dark Side, as much as he did hail from another planet out there in the universe, the representation was, was more supernatural. And that's ultimately what leads to the restoration of the original prime Lex Luthor. So... I don't know. That made me a little bit more, more okay with this now, but I'll take it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I can go on for hours. I know you, you, you do your thing with Smallville. <laughs> I could, I could go for hours because I really, I found Smallville to be charming, just a charming series. I mean, if for as, as much as I can nitpick about it, um, I just found it to be such a charming series. Uh, it really did. I mean, there were things I really, that pissed me off about the Superboy character. You know, but, and I'll leave that for another discussion, but, um, you know, their representation of certain things, um, not, look, decisions were made, clearly. Uh, The fact that they tried to wrap up, incorporate, you know, major Superman characters into his early days before he's even Superman, you know, didn't really, it just... All right, so when then what happens down the road? But um, yeah, no, I I agree with you, what your what you said there about you know, dark side though. Same thing.
0: Yeah. All right. So uh, unless there's anything else that you want to no nope. uh, focus on leading up to trial. Now we get to this 12 part trial of Superman storyline, and I know we've already at least touched on a lot of the major beats and themes of this story. But I mean, let me toss this to you. I mean, like, what stands out to you about about this arc? What you know, What do you think works or or potentially didn't work about it for you?
1: Well, uh, again, my, what I really liked about this is Superman being challenged. You know, it's, it's the, really the, the best way to challenge the, you know, the Superman is just, you take him out of his element um, and you have to either weaken him or present him with someone who is his equal. And they kind of did a little bit of both. And, I dug the lead into it um, with the parasite um, and then the, you know, all the supporting characters that were brought in. Some of them were goofy as all hell. Uh, space pirates could do without that. Um, was not a fan of them in movie form or in a comic book. Um, so I, I, you know, I really enjoyed, you know, the incorporation of the cyborg. Um, again, he's one of those characters that I think that, you know, if you bring him out once in a while, it's got to matter. And for the most part in this, in this story arc, it did. So yeah, I, uh, and you know, you're getting the whole death of Superman team back together again, really. So uh, I really appreciated that.
0: Yeah, that was a cool aspect of it. I mean, I'm on record as saying, I feel like a little bit of cyborg goes a long way. Like I love, obviously I loved him in reign of the Superman. I think not unlike Doomsday, the law of diminishing returns is at play and the more you bring him back. And, you know, I, I think too, I feel like there were so many stories and maybe it wasn't really even that many, but in my mind, you know, thinking back on it, it felt like so many where it seemed like he was gone for good and then he comes back. And I feel like maybe if it were just played as more like, okay, we know he'll be back. Maybe, I don't know, I wouldn't have had as much of an issue. But no, I think when used sparingly, he can be used effectively. And I think this is a good example. And we get a nice follow-up here, actually in the, in the issues leading up to trial, a nice follow up to the Superman Doomsday Hunter Prey miniseries that we talked about uh, at the beginning of this event, where at the end of it, Cyborg is seemingly uh, destroyed, but we find out that Darkseid has preserved his consciousness and plans to use him down the line. And there's an earlier issue here before the trial where uh, Darkseid and Superman have a run in, and basically, Darkseid is pissed at the end of it. And so he unleashes Cyborg and is like, You have to leave. Like you have to leave apocalypse but
1: uh, you gotta go go do, go <laughs>
0: like, go do your thing like go get how much Superman. of a
1: jerk is this guy if if you know, dark <laughs> you get, you can't go home but you can't stay here you know
0: yeah well he did try to take over apocalypse so you know in fairness oh, but <laughs> um but so yeah we get a nice follow-up to that and then cyborgs at play and yeah we get the reunion of of the reign of the Superman characters steel superboy. Eradicator now bonded to David Connor, the Starlab scientist. We talked about that mm-hmm. in, in your last episode, and you know he had been off having all of these adventures with the Outsiders. And uh, I actually, on the DC app, they do have that Outsider series, and so I quickly skim through. Uh, it's the final issue of that Outsider series where the rescue squad shows up and they're like, "Hey, we need you," and he's like, "I'm leaving. I won't be back." And he goes he goes off with them. And then the series ends anyway. Uh again, this is still not, I don't love this like this iteration of the eradicator bonded to a human, but nevertheless, yeah. it was still cool to see all of them, uh, all of them back together. And like I said, that bit of of Superboy thinking that Alpha Centurion was cyborg, I thought really was uh was clever. So that was well done.
1: And uh now th- I, I have a question, and this is for anyone who listens to this, and they have if they know who I'm gonna mention. Please let us know. So the character of Mope, he is very clearly, his design is, he is taken from this character actor from the 70s and 80s, and his name escapes me. He was in a lot of Western, old school, I think he may have even been on like Dukes of Hazard. a lot of early, like early 80s movies, and he has this same exact look, Snub nose, long sideburns, long hair, almost looks like he belongs in, like, uh, Planet of the Apes. And it's driving me absolutely crazy. The whole time I'm reading this, and I am I was, even right before I, we, I came downstairs to record this, I'm trying to figure out this guy's name, and it's driving me absolute bananas. Um, because I clearly watched a lot of television growing up. So this guy's face just resonates in my head. And whoever, um, I guess, I don't know if it was Ron friends who, who designed him specifically. Maybe I should ask him cause he was on our show. Once. Um, it, 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 same guy, same exact guy. I just derailed the whole conversation. I apologize, no. but it just drives me crazy. <laughs>
0: No, that's interesting. I wish I had any answer. I don't. But yeah, if anyone out there listening does, please uh, you know, please let us know on social media so we can put Joe's mind
1: at ease. <laughs> I'm not going to sleep tonight.
0: Speaking of Ron Frenzo, it's during this arc that he makes his debut as Penciler. And he'll be Penciler on Superman for like 50 issues almost, I, I believe.
1: Yep. He was uh, one of the people that designed the blue and white suit. Oh boy, wait till we get there. <laughs> oh man, if you want to bring me in for that conversation.
0: It's fun. I, I, I will I will certainly keep you in mind like a number like it's as as infamous, I suppose, as the electric era was, and maybe that's why. I feel like a lot of people want to talk about it, which is good. It'll it'll be a fun it'll be a fun run of episodes when we eventually get there. But you had him on Dollar Bin Bandits, the the podcast that yes. you, you co host. Anything that, that came out of that conversation that really stood out that you would want to uh, share with our audience here, especially as it relates to his Superman tenure?
1: Um, well, we didn't really get into too much of Superman, at least around this time. We did discuss blue and white uh, electric Superman because I had, um, so I have an is- that issue, and it was signed by everyone who was involved with that issue except him. And I held it up, and I wanted to be like, hey, Ron, remember this? It's signed by everyone else but you. He's like, Oh yeah. Nothing. You know, like, you know, hey, send it to me, I'll sign it for you. But you know, whatever. Um and you know, it was we discussed the the design. Um and you know, he's he loves comics. He he you know, obviously he's not one of these people that just takes it as a job and moves on, which you know, we've talked to a Talk to a fair amount of those type of people, which is fine. Um, but he loves what he does. He loves the art. He loves the characters. And, you know, he was like, look, <laughs> they asked me to design this thing and this is what we came up with. And, um, you know, you know, he's like, look, it's comics. These characters are going to change and, but they will come back to what you love about them too. So, um, you know, we were diving into a fair amount of Thor though at the time too. So, um, so yeah, I'll have to re-listen to that uh, our interview um, and see what he says about that. But
0: well, I, I encourage our audience to check out that that episode and any others, of course, of, of Dollar Bin Bandits. I I'm really, I am actually genuinely excited and really interested to get into the electric era. Uh, it'll be a while before we get there. Uh, it's not part of Death Till Wedding, but at some point uh, we will get there, and it's just to to revisit it with. As with all of this stuff, but especially that era, to revisit it with adult eyes and also knowing that it ends, <laughs> mm-hmm. <It's laughs> and even and, better, you know, it's even better. So, I, yeah, I'm really, I really am curious. But I, I love, I love him as penciler. I enjoy his style, and I feel like this Jergens was was writing and drawing, right, and then he handed off the the penciling uh, duties, and it felt like it didn't feel like he was aping the Jurgen style, but it also, it still felt in keeping with it. Like I thought it was a nice balance. It still felt like that Superman title, but it didn't just feel like yes. someone was coming on to, to copy Jurgens.
1: Yeah, no, I, I had, um, I agree with you. It's, it's, I find it jarring when you go from one style to another and there, you know, as through, as a parent with these uh, different titles, the titles have their own style and artists. Uh, some, you know, certainly more drastic than others, but I found his to be like somewhat of a natural progression from Dan Juergens to anyone else. And I thought his was, you know, Ron friends, um, style and version of Superman. I I found it to be just fantastic so much. So that I was like, Oh wait, that was, that wasn't Dan Juergens who actually wrote, who drew that.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, you know, I had given the basic setup for this trial story before. I think what I was surprised by in rereading was, despite its title, right? You, ne- you never actually get to a trial, right? They, no. they they read the charges against him. And then before <laughs> long, uh, he and the rest of his fellow prisoners have escaped. And so it really becomes far more of this spacefaring adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they seek uh, refuge in this uh, sanctuary on, on one of these planets, and then they're, they're on the run again. And uh, you know, a lot of back and forth, they encounter the pirates. Um, but yeah, I guess I didn't remember that aspect of it so much. I really thought that the the trial piece of it was really the driving force. And clearly that's not the case. Like it really, that's that's our setup to it. But we really uh, spend a lot more time, uh, you know, out there having these space adventures. But it was fun.
1: Yeah, like there's no, you know, trial. It's just him standing in front of the blue people and saying, oh, you're guilty and this is, you know, your sentence of death or whatever. It should be it should have been called Trials of Superman because it's more like the trials that he is enduring in space, you know. Excuse
0: me. Yeah, no no no, but I, I totally uh Sorry. <clears> no no no, all, all good. No, I totally agree with that and uh and it and it works. I mean, I guess in terms of how this is structured, it almost and what our premise is, like it almost has to be that way because this whole this whole bit about the sins of the father visited upon the son, and and Superman's responsible for the genocide of the Kryptonian race. I mean, even though he is the survivor, but um, right. you know he's responsible because of his the actions of his ancestor. I, there's only so much back and forth you can have there, right? It's you know it's not. Right. I know in in recent years, and I was not a big fan of this, but in recent years the the, the whole Bendis story with Rogelzar and. And,
1: <coughs> well, I was going to mention that. Krypton's yeah, yeah.
0: place in the galaxy and and some of the intergalactic politics that were at play. You know, there are other ways to sort of beef up a story like this, but that's not the the way they went. But yeah, did this call to mind the, those, those recent stories for you?
1: One hundred percent. And I was reading this, and clearly, Bendis said, "Screw this idea. This is what's going on." Because I don't know if you recall, like you know, aside from just uh, Bendis's story arc. There's been a number of recent, um, you know, stories involving uh, Krypton and other other planets and, and, uh, you know, civilizations out there like uh, the Guardians, you know, of Oa. They, you know, apparently, you know, uh, Krypton was a very important planet in the overall, you know, uh, I don't know, civilization of the galaxy or something like that. And, you know, it keeps it, it keeps coming up in different stories that, well, this is what happened. No, this is what happened. Someone needs to figure out what the hell happened and just go with that. And I think if you just go back to the original source material, that makes more sense. There doesn't need to be any real major, Underlining issue other than the fact that the planet was just going to die. And one man figured it out and he said, we need to save the planet. We need to save our civilization. And everyone's like, no. And he's like, okay, well, let's go. And, you know, I I think we're getting a little, again, we're getting a little too far, you know, outside the, the, um, the, we're thinking too far outside the Nonetheless, that character was kind of cool.
0: Which one? The trick. The, the,
1: the Bennis's character, Rhaesar, Ro, Ro, Rogar, uh, Razor, Rogar, Ro, are, yeah. Ro, yeah, whatever.
0: Uh, all I'll say is this, but it, I mean, it is relevant because we're talking about what, yeah. what we're talking about. Uh, I, I, I'm with you. I think you and I are simpatico as far as what, what we look for when it comes to the destruction of Krypton. I think that the more elemental and, and mythic and tragic it is, the better. And I think the path to that really is the simplicity of this planet is going to die. This one poor soul sees the big picture and is ignored, not even just ignored, but laughed at, ridiculed, and Mm -hmm. makes this desperate gambit to save the one person he can, his son, the last hope of this planet. Like, that works the best i think and i and i understand it's tough because 80 plus years obviously you always have to find some new angle and some new story to tell and i understand the temptation to be like, well there was more going on someone actually destroyed krypton but i think the more you add (laughs) the more you're really taking away because it's undermining that again that really you know mythic part part of the story so i i you know, I, I hope writers kind of you know, veer away from that because I, I I don't care for it.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's how many times have we've seen in movies where you have one character trying to prove to everyone else, hey, something is going to happen. You know, regardless, someone's going to die. This is going to they're trying to prevent some tragedy from happening. But no one wants to listen. And you're just you're you're just driving yourself crazy and you just want someone to listen because if one person listens to this person then you know then other people can change their mind then you can get the ball rolling and no one will listen to him and the whole planet died as a result
0: (laughs) yeah no exactly exactly and you know again while we're talking about krypton the way that the tribunal ultimately attempts to execute superman is by uh strapping him to a rocket and flying him into the remains of the planet Krypton. Mm-hmm. And he's ultimately saved by none other than Mope. This 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 weakling who uh was imprisoned for oh, was it stealing medicine?
1: Yes. Um so he you know he has somewhat of a power too, I guess he can uh what is it? he can like beef up yes. I <laughs> just beef up one. <laughs> he has a power. And um, he, you know, he uses that to, you know, he's somewhat of a tragic character in and of himself. You know, he's just trying to do what's right and he gets punished as a result.
0: Yeah, I mean, he talks about how, you know, he just took this transport job, right? He didn't know that he was transporting the stolen medicine or something along those lines. You know, in the end, um, he switches places with Superman, takes his place on this rocket bound for the radioactive toxic remains of Krypton <clears throat> dies he saves he sacrifices his life for Superman but as he's doing this he does finally confess that he he did know what he was doing he was guilty but he's been so inspired by Superman who's mm-hmm. gone out of his way <laughs> across these issues uh to save people generally but but especially mope who would have you know, been very yeah. easy to sort of cast away uh, at any point uh, along the journey so you know, I enjoyed that aspect of it, and really just seeing how Superman's heroism, the example that he sets, is able to inspire that in other people. So, uh, yeah, I, I I really enjoyed that. You know, that aspect of it, and I also, going back to memories, the speech that Superman gives when he tells off the tribunal. And he's like, I reject that, and I reject you. And he like leads yep. the, the rescue squad out of there. Oh, a, such a badass moment! I remember that from when, when I was a kid.
1: And the most jacked I have seen him <laughs> throughout this series. I don't know if you noticed that. I mean, when they were <clears throat> when they were drawing that that panel or that series of panels when he turns and walks away. I mean, I, he was juicing, and he is just squared, you know from like head to toe. And I'm like, wow, they really, I mean, he, was <laughs> and I thing is like, he hadn't been like that throughout that issue, but to really drive that point home, I think they really just needed to make him really seem just that much more imposing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. It's funny. Cause as much as this was a 12 issue story and you know, we've, we both cited it as a favorite of ours from this, from this era I don't know that we've spent so much time on it, but I, I don't know is there anything else about the trial that uh that we haven't touched on that you wanted to?
1: Um no, I think, you know, going you know other than the fact that there were some characters that probably shouldn't have been in it. Um, you know, I think we mentioned it, but you know, Sky Pirates? Oh, yeah. Don't don't need them. <laughs> uh and there was you know there are the few mope is fine but there was the like the um medusa looking character i'm i'm poor with names i apologize um and the the chain gang uh these were very much throwaway characters um and you know other than that i mean i, I think oh, the 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 story as a whole was pretty pretty solid
0: yeah i really think just uh again taking superman out of the familiar environment and, you know, challenging him in this way and, and, you know, putting him, you know, this is a different position to be in where, uh, you know, he is being pursued, you know, in this way, he's on the run. Mm -hmm. Uh, And of course he's protecting those with him, particularly Mope, but, um, and I love, yeah, I love the rescue squad mobilizing and, uh, and yeah, that final payoff with Mope's sacrifice and Superman telling off the tribunal, there's, you know, there's also this whole bit where, uh within the tribunal there's dissension and there's one who's like really fanatical and and ultimately goes off the, the deep end and they're able to uh you know uh overthrow him essentially and uh and and the remaining ones are sort of you know oh, you know they are okay with superman leaving but that mm-hmm. one in particular really uh <laughs> really kind of loses it
1: apparently that is a running theme when you have like alien tribunals because the same thing happened with the uh the the guardians of the universe too because you know they're all uh uh, all powerful beings that know what's best for everyone and but there's always one fanatic yes
0: all right now not that i haven't enjoyed everything that we've talked about so far but i think this is the portion that i've i i have the most to get off my chest about (laughs)
1: let's dish
0: because we get you know, we return to Earth, and we get. You know, the, Bibbo is one of those supporting characters. hasn't gotten a lot of play, but there's an issue with Bibbo, and uh, he's going to get back in the ring, and he starts training again. I'm curious to. I don't remember exactly where this goes. I'm excited <coughs> to follow up with with Bibbo. Uh, there's also, uh, you know, one of my favorite traditions is the Metropolis Mailbag, where Superman reads the letters sent to the post office on Christmas Eve. We get one of those, and a mm-hmm. former disgruntled LexCorp employee. It's, it's, it's a, I thought that was a solid one. But then we have the return of Lori. Do you say Lamaris or Lamaris?
1: I say Lori Lamar. No, I don't. I say Lori Lamaris. Yeah.
0: In my head, it's always been Lori Lamaris, but I've spoken with others who have said Lamaris, and I know I'm really splitting hairs here, but uh, in, in my head, I've always heard Lamaris. But. Yeah, Lori Lamaris but the mermaid uh who stole a young metropolis university <laughs> student named clark kent's heart back in the day
1: i hate this character
0: oh really
1: <laughs> no i don't like this character it makes no sense okay so it's just I, like okay he's from kansas <clears throat> it's a landlocked state what the fuck sorry <laughs> like what <laughs> I mean,
0: well, I think like, well, so, but like Metropolis University. I mean, the Metropolis in the comics is I've always taken to be an East Coast.
1: Yeah, it's like the equivalent of Jersey City or something like that. I, I, and maybe you you know this too. I remember seeing a map of the United States of the DC universe at some point, and it put all the points of where all these you know major cities are Gotham Metropolis New York City's still there it's separate even though Gotham and Metropolis are analogs of New York uh Bloodhaven Coast City you know Central City they're all there and accounted for and they equate something like you know Metropolis is like around where um like a, somewhere like around Jersey City or something like that yeah so but still, it is
0: never liked the character. <laughs> no, I, I, I do know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, the location of these places is, is always, I think, a little bit nebulous and mm-hmm. debatable. Uh, well, one of the things I was going to bring up, though, because, again, we always have to circle it back to Smallville. The audience loves when I bring up Smallville, so it's good. Uh, I hope they do.
1: <laughs> I do. I love Smallville. Some
0: do. Some are probably like, oh, Smallville again. It. Yeah. So now, for like 10 years. How do you not? <laughs> 10 years? It's a, I, that's the thing. Now, look, on the show, Metropolis was in Kansas. However, despite that, it's still shock. I can't believe that Smallville never brought in Lori. Even for an episode. Isn't that odd?
1: Yeah, considering all the, the wackadoo characters that were on Smallville. Um, I, I, you know, I'm sure someone had the discussion – uh at some point, and they it just couldn't you know it just didn't make its way in there i mean i I don't know how it would have made more sense on there and in smallville on well, that series that's um, the thing
0: like even though Clark drops out of college very quickly uh it still covers his college age years, right. so it would have fit, and you know it's like as a viewer, you sense that they were struggling to, you know, stretch out the Clark-Lana romance. So it's like this would have at least introduced another player. Now, the argument might be, well, how how visually, how are they going to bring a mermaid to life on a regular basis? These stories that we read give you the perfect out, right? Because unlike in the original incarnation, uh, even, um, even the post-crisis burn version I'm talking about, where mm-hmm. she's just a mermaid and her legs are always wrapped up, her tail mm-hmm. is always wrapped up. You know, here she's undergone this transformation and when she's dry, she has legs and it's only when she's wet that she has the the tail. So it's like, you know, they could have shown her as a mermaid once and then she could have just always been dry and it would have worked. It's just, I don't know, man, exactly to your point for all the characters they brought in and especially when I think they could have used another romantic interest at some point. I'm so, that's actually a question I would have if I had the opportunity to ask uh, the the writers um, I would just, I'm curious. Cause I agree with you. Like it must've come up at some point. Someone must've been mm-hmm. like, Hey, it's <laughs> just character Lori.
1: And as, as we're discussing it, the only thing that makes me think that they, that, so the only reason why they probably didn't is there could have been something else out there in TV or movies that was very similar to that. I say that because there is a show, i uh, sorry, a series of movies, or maybe it was just one movie, excuse me, about a mermaid that my, my kids watch. And it's uh, Aquamarine, I think is the name of it. And it's very, you know, there. it's about a mermaid. And I think, similar thing, when she gets wet, she turns into the mermaid. So, Maybe it was something like that. And then, you know, in terms of when it came out, eh, it's around that point. Um, but yeah, it, you know, uh, Smallville had some very interesting off the wall characters and at least certainly in how they're presented. And um, as much as I didn't like Lori as a character and I, I definitely anytime I saw her, I don't know why it just didn't really resonate with me. <clears throat> I was never a fan of those issues.
0: No, fair enough. I guess, and also, again, I, I don't want to present myself as this like great champion of, of the Laurie Lamar's character, but I I, I, don't <laughs> feel, <fan> <laughs> yeah, I don't feel that strongly, but I guess I just like the idea of, of Clark's college years and that there was some love interest during that period, and I'm comfortable with it being that character. But she returns, right, and uh in in the the this last stretch of issues that we read following the trial and you know Clark had thought that she w- was dead turns out she's still alive she's returned there's this business with her husband who's gone crazy but it this is where we now get into the relationship troubles between Clark and Lois and i do appreciate that lori certainly throws a wrench in the works and is a catalyst for the breakup that's coming but not the catalyst it's sort of a symptom of of a larger issue that's brewing between clark and lois essentially this idea that you know superman is is always going superman's responsibilities are always going to come first over lois that's sort of what ultimately seems to be leading to that breakup there um so i'm glad that it wasn't all sort of focused around uh lori but like i said there are a number of of choices that Clark makes that really drove me nuts as I was reading. I mean, one of them is, and I I think this was the line, where he tells Lois that Laurie was like an old friend, right? Or or maybe even alluded to dating, but didn't tell her, didn't not tell Lois that Laurie knew he's Superman, and didn't tell Lois that he proposed to her. I mean, as a married man yourself, (laughs) like, what was your take on this? Yeah, I
1: mean... (laughs) I know people who have been engaged. That engagement never went through. And then they got married uh, to someone else. And at some point that has to be a discussion that has to come up, you know, Uh, because it's going to suck for your wife, you know, to find it out in some other way. So having, you know, Superman, who is one of the most, um, you know, the most uh, morally, um, uh, you know, he, he, look, he he knows the right from wrong, um, and for him not to bring that up, um, just seems like you know, you weren't, you didn't have your head on your shoulders or something because that should have been a you know a conversation,
0: <laughs> and it's not the first time so we talked about this when we, when we covered zero month where we got some flashbacks to Clark's younger days when they were introducing Kenny Braverman. And Mm -hmm. uh, when he was traveling abroad and, and you know, working as a reporter, there was this uh, French reporter Simone who uh, showed him the ropes in more ways than one. And as he was talking to Lois about Simone, he again, couched it as like, Oh yeah, she was a friend and mentor. Meanwhile, we're seeing flashbacks to the two of them, like hooking up in the car like while they're waiting for an interview. And so it it just seems like it's becoming a little bit of a pattern here. Now, again, I feel like most couples at some point have some conversation about who they've dated in the past, but it's like, even if they don't, Lois and Clark in particular, you know, it's one thing for Clark to not volunteer certain information, but I feel like he is being deliberately misleading in the case of mm-hmm. Simone and, and here. And it's just like, I don't know. Maybe I, I, sh- on the, I could look at the positive side and it's like, well, maybe they're, you know, this shows his fallibility. Right. And, and how for as, as morally upstanding as he is, you know, he, yeah. he did make some missteps here out of, you know, a misguided attempt to protect her feelings out of, you know, out of trying to protect himself. I mean, whatever the case may be, uh, I don't think it was the right call, but uh, yeah, it was just frustrating. It was like, what are you doing?
1: It's, you know it highlights his humanity mm-hmm. um because <laughs> as much as he is Kryptonian, you know he is of the you know human world and look we you or I would not make this mistake but given the fact that he does save the world many times over, I guess if you're gonna m- make big strides in saving the world, you can make big mistakes too like that in your relationships um but yeah it you know that there when you decide to reveal your secret identity to somebody the next converse at and the same time when you're proposing um the next very next conversation should be btw i was engaged before or, you know, I know this happened and this happened, you know, like or yeah.
0: Now I this well, should be up there. This is the lawyer in me. I don't think he was actually technically engaged, right? Because he proposed and she was like, I can't marry right, you. Yeah. But
1: but still right, he yeah. proposed
0: like I don't know. I feel like this is the sort of thing, you know, it let's put it this way, like I, I've only proposed once. If I had proposed marriage to someone like once before, I, I there's no way I like that it would never have come up or that I, I would have hidden that. I I don't know. Uh, and also it's like I don't know. Like, I think this the problem stems from him hiding it. Like, I think if he had just gotten ahead of this and told Lois, she would have been mm-hmm. understanding. Yeah. Um, so, the, the, and, but going back to what you're saying before, and I know I had an issue with this last year when we covered the proposal and secret identity reveal, you know, he proposes first, mm-hmm. then a little while later, he's like, Oh, by the way, I'm Superman. It's like, again, buddy, what are you doing? It's like, <laughs> I feel like we got the order. The order mixed up a little bit. And then, again, though, this is nothing. It gets it just keeps getting worse. So in one of the upcoming issues, uh, Laurie is, is up on the roof and she's trying on one of Lois's dresses and high heels. And she falls off the building. And, of course, Superman catches her. And I did really like the way uh, this was an adventures issue that Stuart, Eminem and Drew. It, and it's a mm-hmm. very pulled back view of the two of them flying. But Clearly she plants one on him again. It's like, it was, and I don't know if this was from the script or, or the artist's choice, but uh, to really like, we're so far removed. We're seeing it essentially the way that Lois is seeing it when she walks out onto the roof of the building and then quickly turns when she sees them. But so Lori kisses Clark and when they land, she's apologetic. And he says to her, he's like, he, he makes a remark <clears throat> about like uh, trusting his impulses because that was the issue with impulse that tied in with that whole thing. But yep. he says to her like, it's OK. And after all, no one saw. Again, I feel like this is strike two for uh, for old C.K. there.
1: Yeah, um, I will. S- so there are a couple of ways to really hurt Superman you know, kryptonite magic, but it they've touched upon his heart being one of the ways to really hurt him. And he's hurting himself in this way. (laughs) You know, when it comes to hurting the ones he loves, his friends, his family, you know, his loved ones, that's how you get to the, you know, to really harm Superman. And, you know, he's screwing up. He's, do, he's har- harming himself in this case. So yeah, no one saw, but you know, Superman knows and it's, the, you know, it's really, re- regardless if you're Superman or just a man, the fact that you know, and you hit it from your, you know, soon to be wife. Well, that's the problem right there.
0: Yeah. It's like, and, and look, I, as I'm saying all of this, I don't know, you know, those of you who are listening and you're in, in relationships or have been in relationships, you might feel otherwise and maybe you feel like, hey, what she doesn't know won't hurt her even though, you know, we the audience know that Lois saw that, you know, Clark doesn't know that but it's not even, I don't even want, it's not like I'm even trying to just impose my my morality uh, on the character but I, I do think from that, that moral- It
1: turns to an episode of Dr. Phil.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there is a little bit of that where I've, I do feel like, you know, there is a, a, a right way you know, in terms of respect for the person you're with, I, I can appreciate a counterpoint to, you know, it might hurt more to know than not know. However, and this is less about morality and more strategy and this sounds so cold and I don't mean it that way. <laughs> like, I guess, like I've not been in this situation where like now as a married person, like someone kissed me. But if that happened, I I mean, i you know, I feel like I would tell my wife, A, because we're honest with each other and we, it's important, but also- it would be so much worse if I didn't. And then she found out. So again, it's just in terms of right and wrong, but also strategy. It was, it was very frustrating.
1: I, so (laughs) I think we're spending way too much time on relationships. No, I'm just, (laughs) um, it's how you talk to somebody is just as important as what you tell them. And I've, come to really find this to be true with my kids. It's one thing to tell your child, you know, clean up your room. Got to do that, da 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 da. you know, how you tell them is going to get through to them much better than what you're telling them. You know what I mean? And if you're going to be breaking some pretty earth shattering news to a loved one like this, how you bring it to them, to their attention makes all the difference in the world. And having them find out, you know, through, you know, some other means is not the way. And, you know, they're not going to know the full story. And this is this is what happens in like every sitcom. You know, it's like someone walking in while Jack Tripper is, you know, in the Regal Beagle and accidentally, you know, trips and kisses somebody, you know, like something stupid like that. You didn't see the full everything leading up to it. You just saw that one second. So you know how how it's presented and told really matters. This has been relationships, buddy.
0: Yeah. Well, you know it's 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 so funny though because um, I, I, I'm really enjoying talking about this, and I I totally recognize that we're building towards a breakup, right? The last issue that we read is the famous cover of the engagement ring on the cover, yeah. And the, you know, the tagline that the engagement is off. And I remember this got press. This got like major mainstream press when the two of them broke. I remember reading mm-hmm. that as a kid. Um so, you know, we're we're paving the way for that. So from a writing perspective, I I can totally appreciate it. I, I think Yeah, I mean, do I I wish that I don't mind that tension between them was explored. I don't even mind that we had a breakup. I do uh, yeah, I guess I would have preferred if, if we got there in a way that felt a little bit truer to the characters, but mostly I'm just enjoying talking about this as if they were real people. Like, can you believe he did that? You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's less like, Oh, why did Dan <laughs> Jurgens have him? It's less that. And it's more just like, what's the matter with this guy? Like in that moment, after the kiss on the, on the, in the sky, uh, I feel like the responsible thing, first of all, we haven't even mentioned this, but Lori's been staying with Lois. It's really problem. Number one, you know, it's it, it, like missteps it's like no you don't put the two of them together so i feel like at that point clark really needed to step up and say like listen this is not a good situation um i'm gonna put laurie up at a hotel i'm gonna crush some coal into diamonds and she's gonna stay uh wherever he needs to for as long as possible and don't worry about that bill and you just charge up all the room service you want but stay out of my fiance's apartment anyway uh we got to talk about this joker issue um, because this is less of a relationship thing uh, although obviously it ties in, but, oh, this was probably the biggest problem that I had uh, with, with this run of issues where you mentioned before there was an earlier Joker appearance before the trial. Uh-huh. At the end yeah. of it, he had sent this uh, Superman doll, right, to Lois. And we find out in this later, uh, uh, one of the final issues that we read, that it's been slowly poisoning Lois. <clears throat> and she's got hours to live, a couple of hours And, you know, Superman is just berserk. You really feel his frustration. He hunts down Joker and teams up with Batman. And Joker poses this, you know, dilemma to him, I suppose, that if uh, Superman injects Joker, I think either with the poison or with some other substance, right, it will kill Joker, but the interaction with Joker's blood will produce an antidote. And, uh, I, I don't know, maybe more of the blame lies with Batman, but, you know, Batman really talks Superman out of it basically appealing to his morality. It's like, you can't, you can't kill. Even if it's the Joker, even if it's to save Lois. And Superman, oh, okay, I'm getting annoyed. Like, even (laughs) as I'm saying this, like he he goes along with this. And at the end of the issue, like he's standing there in the hospital, watching Lois take what, for all intents and purposes, as far as he knows, will be her final breaths. Mm -hmm. And then of course she doesn't die. And it turns out that this was a joke because of course it's the Joker. But he didn't know that. And I think the, what stood out to me most about this is when Lois wakes up and he explains this to her, I'm paraphrasing, which is basically like, I didn't kill the Joker because I know you wouldn't want me to do that. And you wouldn't want me to live with that. And you wouldn't want to have to live with knowing that I, I killed him to save you. And her response is like, oh, okay. I'm like, okay. And you can imagine yeah. what's going through her head where she's like, what the hell are you talking about? I I mean, did this, clearly this bothered me a lot. I mean, what was your, what was your read on this?
1: Well, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking of the uh, Injustice storyline. Sure. Um. However, you know, this, ne- you know, that never happened from this, but you know, that's what it's most recent in my brain. However, if I were Lois, I'd be like, look, there is I don't believe in killing anyone, but given the you know the circumstances of, there are exceptions. I would say we're talking about comics, everyone. So relax. Um, You know, like yeah, you can kill the Joker. (laughs) I, I I get there are morality issues. You know, Batman and Superman never kill, but let's face it. And all the stuff that they've gone through, people have died. I mean, let's, let's be honest. So that being said, uh, to kill the most evil villain in, you know, the DC universe to save, you know, Lois Lane. I mean, besides if it's just a matter of like mixing the blood, can't they just like, (laughs) if it's just that, can't you just prick his finger?
0: Yeah, I don't I don't know how the science of that all uh, all works out, but yes, that is a great point. Look, the this would have been mitigated if Superman had any indication that Joker were bluffing. I like I think there are ways where I would have been a little bit more okay with this if Superman right. was like, "No, nah, I really like, you know, however it would have played out where he wasn't really standing there thinking that he was watching his fiance die. Now, look, the subject of Superman killing, I know this is hotly debated. Uh, I've talked about this on the show. I don't want to belabor the point or rehash issues, but it's just always funny to me, especially when we talk about it in the context of Man of Steel and and the snapping of the neck. And it's just like, again, man, you watch Superman 2 and he throws the powerless criminals seemingly to their deaths, deleted Mm -hmm. scene aside. In the Burn comics, he coldly executes Zod and the other criminals. A couple of episodes ago, we talked about how the final battle with Conduit goes down in the comics. Mm Mm-hmm. Superman grabs those cables and like purposely overloads conduits, you know, energy source or whatever and, and fries him. And it's in no way presented as, Oh, I killed him. But it's like, you read it and it's like,
1: "Eh, he kind of killed him, killed him.
0: (laughs) So that's why it's like, again, especially when we go back to man of steel and like, people
1: are like so up in
0: arms about this. It's like, I don't know. I I can understand more if it were really like really an outlier here, but it's like, not only has this happened before, but at least Man of Steel showed you how upset he was about it. <laughs> like, he wasn't, wasn't flip about it.
1: <laughs> you know, I for all the stuff that uh, annoyed me about Man of Steel, that was one of the things that didn't bother me at all. Because if you're if you're building a character, there has to be a point where they make that decision not to kill. Okay? And that was that point that was the point where superman you know he killed someone he killed another survivor from he killed one of his own people yep yeah. okay and this and i've said it before probably here the scream that he lets out at the end of that i was like i felt that you know it wasn't an emotional roller coaster of a movie but i did feel that moment because he just lets loose this guttural scream of, you know, just, you know, I've, I've taken a life. I've killed someone. I've killed someone just like me. And there's no others left that we know of, at least in, in the universe. And, you know, that was his defining moment of never going to kill. Batman, on the other hand, is a bit of a dick and just kills people all the time. It seems without thinking about it, flipping cars and blowing things up. But that's it for another discussion. Um, so I, you look. there's gotta be a moment where you, you know, make those, those calls. Yeah. This is one of them, I would say.
0: (laughs) I mean, that, that's the thing. And I know for those who, who like this code against killing to be just an absolute, you know, the story probably tracks. I understand that. I can appreciate that. And look, again, we're building these wedges. We're driving these wedges between Lois and Clark, and this is another Mm -hmm. one of them and Lois references it a couple of times in the issues following it, like you were going to let me die, and uh, you know, so I, I I can appreciate that, but it was it was just yeah, it was it was just really frustrating, and it's it's also it's also funny too, just different takes on on this issue and on on Batman and Superman in that context in particular, because I think about the Public Enemies arc of Superman Batman by Jeff Loeb and Ed McGuinness, just a few mm. years after this. And there's that scene, it's a great arc and I love the animated movie, and, but there's this oh. great scene where uh, Superman and Batman break into the Oval Office and Superman has Lex by the, by the neck, by the throat. And, uh, and Batman says, he's like, I won't stop you. We could even make this look like an accident or make it look like he disappeared. And I just remember reading that and it's like, that rings truer to me Yeah. That Batman would, and again, people might have, might be like, what are you talking about? Like, Batman would do that. I don't know. It just felt like, it just felt more realistic to me.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And it's, ah, damn. Now that you mentioned it, it just gave me goosebumps (laughs) because I I love that. And I love the movie too. And he, you know, he says that and he's like, because you could, you hear his reasoning. Look, I'm not telling you to do it. (laughs) Okay. But if you do it, I'm going to turn around and look at this painting. And if I turn back around and he's dead, no worse for the wear, you know, like, you know, we could, we can cover this up. So yeah, I mean, look.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But look now counterpoint, I guess maybe one of the reasons why a scene like that resonates so much is because it is a reversal of expectation because you are expecting a conversation more in line with what we get in Action Seven Nineteen, where Batman talks Superman out of killing Joker. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could also argue it's like, hey, you can't kill one of mine, but it's like I'm okay with you killing one of yours.
1: Right? <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah. Look, this is my world. Like you, you stay in yours. Okay. If you're gonna kill Lex, that's cool, but don't touch my boys. Right. Um. You, you, what. What really resonates me with me uh, on this these. of issues is that or everything leading up to the breakup really is we've just spent many issues pushing superman to the the physical limits in space out of his element now we're pushing him to his emotional limits and you know how it affects his humanity so he's getting it from all sides And it really is, you know, the true test of, you know, of of who Superman is, how he, you know, copes with that. So, I mean, really, there's nowhere to go. You've gone to the far reaches of space. How are you going to challenge this man? He's overcome, you know, the most impossible uh, feats in space. Okay, well, now you bring him back home and you tear apart his, his personal life.
0: That is a a tremendous point. I agree with that totally. And I'll also say that, uh, in, you know, kudos to the creative teams because one of the issues that I had last year when we covered the beginnings of the Lois and Clark relationship, it happened pretty quickly and they got engaged fast. Um, And, you know, I, I recognized at the time it's like, in the context of post-crisis continuity, yeah, it's not a long time. But in the context of Superman history, mm. there's been this decades-long courtship, so so to speak. So, you know, maybe it was, I don't know, warranted and sort of speeding things up a little bit. But I always felt like, hey, I don't know that we've really explored a ton about their relationship. Like, again, it just felt like we got to the point of them dating and then engaged pretty mm. quickly because there was a good stretch in the beginning of the post-crisis era where, you know, there wasn't a ton between them. And there was a little while where Kat was even being positioned as a little bit more of a, of an interest, a love interest for him. So, uh, you know, that was sort of a a criticism that I had. So now I do appreciate that we're taking the time to mine this relationship and put them through this test before they'll, they'll ultimately get married. And, you know, uh, the next episode where we talk about uh, the the issues leading up to and including the wedding, I'm really excited to get into that. And uh, you know, from what I remember, I know this this relationship uh, drama and then Lois's eventual departure for a little uh, short period of time, you know, is is a big part of that. So uh, I'm excited to get into all of that. I have enjoyed this tremendously. Is there anything else that you want to say about what we read for this that we didn't get to, or, or hmm. anything else that you want to say?
1: Um, no, no, no. It, it's it was a fun read. You know, I, there are a lot of characters that made appearances that I really love. Um, you know, Spectre's a badass character in my view. And uh, we just, for those dollar-bred people out there. Uh, we just um, were talking to or, you know, published our interview with uh, Tom Mandrake, who did a, had a pretty extensive run on Spectre. Um, this was not his, but it had a very similar look to it. So you know, uh, those are very, very cool. And Shazam is awesome. I love interactions with Superman and Shazam. Um, You know, they're the same guy. Uh, So (laughs) uh, when they're together um, and, you know, seeing their interactions, I think it's just, it was great. And, you know, this, this is the cover of the, um, of this engagement uh, being off is very reminiscent of, you know, the future wedding, um, issue, all white, you know, uh, with the exception of the ring, of course, but you know, there it's, uh, you know, different sides of the same coin.
0: Very true. Well, thank you, Joe, so much for, uh, completing this reading assignment and joining me, especially when you've been under the weather uh, I encourage everyone to check out the dollar bin bandits podcast available on YouTube and all major podcast platforms and social media as well. So make sure you listen, watch, follow, connect with dollar bin bandits. Um, especially if you're a Superman fan, because as we've talked about, you guys have had on a number of, of, of these yeah. creators whose work we've been discussing. So I hope people will check that out. Yeah. Uh, so thank you, Joe audience. Thank you. As always, truly, I appreciate it. We have two more chapters remaining in this death to wedding event Next week, we are turning our attention to what was going on in the world of television at this time. So we will be talking about Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman, and in particular, the infamous frog-eating clone storyline. If you know, you know. And we're going to have a really fun talk about that. I'll be joined by Tyler Patrick from the Krypton Report podcast. And then two weeks from now, uh, returning guest Scott Honing will be back to help me close this out. And we will be talking about the breakup through the wedding. So a lot of great stuff till to, still to come. I hope you will join us. And as always, remember, it's about what you do. It's about action. Support the show and receive exclusive additional content, including my DC Movie Rewatch podcast at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato. Thank you to all patrons for enabling me to produce this show. Also, be sure to explore the other shows within the Flat Squirrel podcast network, which is home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in the adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, all hosted by yours truly. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Productions.com for more. Thank you all.